Welcome to Brand Story, Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week, we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. On today's episode of Brand Story, Inc., we welcome Lily Homestead Cruz, the Director of Marketing at Teamworks Media, where in addition to running the company's social media center of excellence, Lily leads Teamworks Media's content marketing efforts for clients, including content strategy and content marketing execution. She's helped build and cultivate content communities for the likes of the Chicago Marathon, Big Ten Conference, the National Baseball Hall of Fame, International Tennis Hall of Fame, and a host of small to mid-sized B2B companies in a variety of sectors. Lily, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Full disclosure, in case you haven't figured it out, Lily and I are colleagues, so there's some deep familiarity here. Lily, you got to keep the uh, the trade secrets on me to a minimum here. <laughs> I'll try my best. <laughs> well, I thought we'd start with Lil as go to some of the basics on content marketing for businesses, either just getting into the game or maybe looking to take that next step uh, and, and, and help their businesses that much more. Uh, you're on the front lines, right? Initial phone calls mm-hmm. with customers and and prospects and, and having conversations. And you had the idea here, maybe taking some of that and sharing it with our listeners. Tell us more what you're thinking. Yeah, well, I think there's still a lot of this that is people don't quite understand yet or they're not familiar with it. You know, these aren't things that people, that most companies are doing in their day-to-day work or if they are they're doing some pieces of it and not all of it and so I think some pieces of content marketing are still a little mysterious to people so I think it really just helps you know I know it helps me to just break it down into very visible steps and and line all that stuff up awesome and Lily's going to do that for us but before we jump in I want to share a special shout out to Christy Ross and our friends at Tasty Trade Christy's the CEO of Chicago-based Tasty Trade and a friend past guest and listener to Brand Story Inc. And this past Friday in, in late January of 2021, it was announced that they were acquired for $1 billion in a deal that included $300 million plus of cash. Uh, Tasty Trade may be my most often referenced case study of an organization fully embracing the media company mindset to impact their bottom line. It's like the ultimate content marketing example. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Tasty Trade is the financial media network. Like, think of a fun, digital first CNBC type uh, digital media company dedicated, dedicated to educating the financial do it yourselfer. And it's also the front door for Tastyworks, which is the online brokerage and trading platform. We had Christian in 2020, and she shared how they built it, how it works. Um, and, and went through their shows and how it all ties together to their business. And I thought it was really relevant, Lil, because mm-hmm. one of the comments we always get is like, one can expect ROI, like show me other people that have done it. Like here is a company that is an online brokerage firm that seven years ago went all in on content marketing and it paid off big time. And so I'll link to the podcast, that podcast with Christy in our show notes on our content hub on Teamworks Media. Uh, but I wanted to point that out. So. Let's segue there. Well, Tasty Trade is a content marketing vision state that we both talked about as a model. Yet today's podcast, we're going to reel it all the way back to the starting point. I, I thought it'd be helpful maybe to help executives understand how content marketing works and debunk the process a little bit into some simple concepts, as you alluded to, and steps for what it takes to build out successful content marketing efforts. So before we do that, let's offer some context for our listeners for what you do as a director of marketing at Teamworks Media, sp- specifically for our clients in this regard. Yeah, sure. So I think 
you know, obviously with the director of marketing, you're really spanning a lot of different things. But I think at the core of all of that is really trying to figure out what our clients brand story is and and how to tell it, whether that's through social media, through content marketing, through their their main marketing channels, um, and really just figuring out how to connect with their audiences and give those people some value where it's not just talking about the company's product or service, but really connecting with them um, in a way that gives them something of value. Well, I don't want to make any assumptions here, especially on this episode and the way that we're teeing it up. So how do you explain content marketing to folks who are just learning about it? Yeah, sure. So I think the main thing that I try to emphasize when I'm talking to people is that content marketing is really all about educating your audience and it's giving them something that is helpful to them. And the best way that I can describe it is, you know, other other places that I use, you know, as a director of marketing, I'm looking for um, information on social media algorithms and new updates in content or Google um, and what SEO things are changing in that market. And so I want someone to be able to help me and give me that information. And those are the companies that I end up trusting and using and, and buying their products and services because I, I like them and I enjoy using them. And we're going to get into some of those case studies. It gets a little meta because we're in content marketing and we're mm-hmm. using other people's content marketing to learn about content, content marketing. Content marketing for content marketing. Yeah, it's fun. So, so how does an organization or a brand that's making content that solves a problem or provides value, as you talked about it, how does that talk about how that ties into business results? Yeah, so I think there's two really big things there, and they're a little bit different. But one is providing value and really brand trust to your audience. Mm-hmm. And the more that you can give helpful information and be there to guide your audience members, the more that they're going to trust your brand. And that's a major component of this. So you want those audience members to feel like they're heard, they they get what you're doing, um, and they can turn to you. But then the other really big piece of that is SEO. Mm-hmm. And with SEO, you're bringing in people through Google you have to give, you have to create content to give Google something to index. Mm-hmm. So it, it, you need to create content just for Google for them to understand who you are and what you're talking about. And the more that you can get your name up there on Google search rankings, the more traffic you get, the more leads you get, the more email subscribers you get, the more social followers you get. So it's all just trying to get as many people in through that front door as you can. I think it's one thing that you and I even learned in the last year that was pretty fascinating. Uh, Andy Crestedina, a friend of ours and um, you know, well-known content marketer and the author of a book we, Lily and I highly recommend called The Illustrated Handbook for Content Marketing. It's called Content Chemistry. I think, mm-hmm. one, I think one thing, Lil, is that myth. You just hit on it, right? It's like you hit on an important thing that I think many people don't know, and, and I wasn't even aware of, of, of how low the numbers were. I, I believe there's a myth that People think, okay, I'm in the financial services industry and I put out content that's valuable. Um, people are going to then come to my website and click through and become a customer. Like It's like this A, B to C relationship of converting. Mm-hmm. And it's actually not that, right? It's, it's, a, it's a very low percentage do that. It's a much um, higher percentage of what you, what you just said, right? It's building trust within Google that you are a quality content creator that provides value and therefore you get bumped up, right? I mean, that's, can you exactly. talk about that difference? <clears throat> yeah, sure. And I think, you know, you kind of 
you kind of said it where it's not an A to B to C relationship. It's, it's messy. People don't immediately come into your site, read one piece of content, think it's worth everything to them, give you their email address and a social follow and buy your product in the next day. <laughs> you have to continually give them value and give them information. And it takes a long time to build that trust. Um, so I think that's a key piece of it. But the other piece that you talked about, the SEO side, is that what I think that, you know, Google is still a mystery to people. It's, you know, except mm-hmm. for the people who work in Google, it's it's a mystery of how it works. But really what it comes down to is Google needs information to read. Mm-hmm. It needs to understand who you are, what you talk about, what you're an expert in. And to do that, it needs to read content. And in that content, there needs to be keywords and really strong content that proves who you are and what you talk about and and what you're good at. And if Google then realizes that you've got enough of that information, that you are an expert, it starts bubbling up your content to the top of those uh, search results. And so I think there's, there's two things when we talk about content marketing is you need to write your content so it's helpful for people to read, but you also need to write your content so it's helpful for Google to read. That's an important But you can't point. do, yeah, and you, you have to do both at the same time. Yeah, it's interesting. Because otherwise it's impossible for people to read something that's just, you know, search optimized and it's not going to sound right and they're going to be turned off and not come back. Yeah, and I think this is where, you know, you can get really into the nuance, right? I mean, you can buy your way to the top of the Google page by, by paying for Google mm-hmm. AdWords, right? But even still, there's just that nuance, and there's a lot of studies on this, that people skip the ads if they see something right below it that seems credible, right? Like mm-hmm. that's adding value to them. So it's actually um, really well con- – uh, you know, once you get the content machine going, which we'll talk about how you do that, and you're, you're building that trust, to your point, with Google and the algorithm, like it's even more valuable than paying your way to get, get at the top. Yeah. And really, I mean, it's, it's all about how sustainable you want it to be for yourself. You can, of course, you know, buy Google ads and keep your content supported through paid media, which now with the way that algorithms are changing, there, there certainly has to be a piece of that. But the, the more valuable content that you can create, the content that's got everything that your audience would need to know, that's the stuff that will stay on Google, um, you know, regardless of who's buying ads against you or not yeah i think that's you know we talked earlier it's uh, i find myself struggling and when we used to have those things called cocktail parties you know <laughs> people like so tell me what you do for the note and then you get to that point in the conversation like, so tell us what teamworks does no like really like go deeper mm-hmm. right like after you get past the you know do you really want to go there right and then you start talking about it and then i think at the, at the highest level this is where it gets overwhelming and i think role playing would be would be helpful and that is yeah, at at the core, you're really taking non-media companies and mm-hmm. helping them think like a media company, right? Like we talked about Tasty Trade before; they're an online brokerage firm. And what's amazing is you call like you can call over there. It's, a, it's not a huge place, and like their on-air host of you know eight eight different shows a week is also like you know their VP of research, right? So it's mm-hmm. like depending on what time, and they've it's the most extreme example. They're producing eight hours of live daily content around do-it-yourself financial services. It looks like CNBC. It feels like it. It's, yeah. But And they've built this community. And, you know, that wasn't their day job. Like, they weren't TV producers or digital media producers, right? right? And so I but think this experts. is – they're experts. Exactly. And I think that's really what it is. I think a lot of companies 
don't give themselves credit to your point. Like, mm-hmm. like they're, they're experts. And now it's just about how do you take that expertise and turn it into video articles, right? Like white Yeah, papers. and I think a lot of people overlook how much content they actually yes. have. And that's a, I mean, that's a key part of what, what we do and, you know, the steps that we go through with, with our clients. But, you know, I think just because someone doesn't have a blog and they think, well, we don't, we don't have a blog. We don't have, we don't have content. You have a ton of content. You're making content every single day. You just aren't calling it that. Um, you know, you've got sales presentations and, um, customer service guides and, emails that you're writing to new business prospects that I guarantee these people, you know, you're writing the same email explaining your company and your services and the benefits of working with you over and over and over again. And that's something that's easily transferable into a blog post, into a guide, into a resource for people that they can take with them, that they now understand how your company works and you don't have to do that every single time yeah I mean it's interesting you always start there I hear I've heard you do it before you you go down that road of like let's get the sales team in here what are the biggest objections mm-hmm. what are the biggest questions people have and it's amazing how it's it's always easy for um, people outside of the situation to see it but that that that's the seed of a lot of content well if if these, ton, five, yeah. right, these five questions keep coming up that are out there there is might be 50 ways to continue to answer that question in different ways, right? In different styles. And that's, you know, um, really good insights. So let's, yeah. let's go there, Lil. I, I want to role play for our listeners. So I'm going to make this up. Uh, let's say I'm a boutique financial services firm, okay? And I'm a top-level executive there. I'm used to getting business by maybe golfing with prospects or whining and dining them, right? And then mm-hmm. COVID comes along and hits. Um, and I'm realizing that there's this content marketing thing that I've heard about that some folks in our industry are doing, and it might help me get more customers, right? But there are hundreds, if not thousands of financial service organizations providing advice and content and insights in this area. So how do you go about, where do you start and how do you go about finding something that would work for me? Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's our core mission. And what we're trying to do is really help draw out what makes our clients unique, what makes them different from their competitors, what they have that they can, they can teach their audiences that, that nobody else can. Mm -hmm. Um, And so really what we do is we start with their mission and their purpose and trying to figure out what their brand story is that they want to tell. Um, but then really diving in from there into their personas and their audiences. And I think sometimes for people, they think that they've got a really good feeling of who that is. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that is very true. And that's the majority of your, of your audience. But I think there's a lot of times when we start digging into the research or we start talking to the sales teams or the customer service teams, there's a lot that's under the surface that maybe people on the higher level aren't seeing on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we really try to look at those personas, figure out who they are and um, who their competitors are talking to. And if there is a big group of people that our client isn't talking to, that the competitors aren't talking to, and there's this need out there that's not being served, that's what we really try to hone in on and try to create content around so we can make sure that we're getting that audience and bringing them to our client and not just leaving that open on the table. And so, so in this example, right, I'm a financial services firm and just make it up. Like mm-hmm. You start digging in and, and use your own example. Like what would be an, what would be an example 
of a group or persona, right, or a type of customer that you'd look at and maybe say, oh, wow, let's go, let's go more niche here. Let's go deeper, right? Obviously, there are people with money, but w- give me an example for context. Yeah, so we've looked at clients before where, you know, the majority is, um, you know, a high net worth, uh, married, male, Mm-hmm. 40s to 50s and that's a good that's a big piece of of that puzzle but then there's also a piece of the puzzle that is single female 40s 50s very high net worth but they're not being spoken to their competitors aren't really focused on those individual issues that that woman might have and so we really try to then look at that person create content for her um, because there's no one else talking about it and, it's, and if th- we can bring that into our client, then then they're feeling valued and heard and understood and helpful. Yeah, I think that's a really that's a good, it's a great example. So in this you know fictitious financial services firm, if you were to find like a niche like that, right, where it's the as you said, the single where the divorced or single um, female high net worth forty to fifty year old, and you look at the competitive set and you're like, wow, there's no one really servicing just this mm-hmm. audience. Um, I think it's interesting because to go all in on that, right, to the um, uh, to be a resource for that type, the language you'd write, right, like the the type of content that you would create, it's different. It would have to have a personality befit for a 40, 40 to 50 year old, right, um, mm-hmm. single woman, right, who's of means and you're providing some value to them. But I think sometimes that's probably a hard <sighs> – it, it's it's so specific that it's probably mm-hmm. hard for um, businesses to kind of get their heads around because they're thinking, yeah, but if we service that audience, what about all the other people? Am and, I missing my other ones? Yeah. yeah. How, how do you how do you respond? Like, how do you deal with that? I think it's I I get the challenge there. Um, you know, coming from the marketing side, you don't ever want to feel like you're alienating you know some mm-hmm. people, but I think you really have to realize that you can talk to this big, this group of people that exist. They're still your client and they still need your services just because they don't hit over the 50% mark. Doesn't mean that they don't deserve that kind of information and those resources as well. And I think if, you know, especially with groups that, you know, maybe aren't getting that help anywhere else, Mm -hmm. they're going to feel extra value. They're going to feel like you really get me. And that trust is going to build so much stronger than if they're given just kind of generic across the board content that really could relate to anyone. All right. So in this case, how would you then go, let's say, we'll just use this example you use. So let's say you've, uh, it's a finance, this, my financial services company, and you've explained, you know, how there's this gap area that's in the marketplace, right? You've researched it. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is talking to mostly men. There's, there's no one talking really. And if they are, let's just say it's wide open territory to really mm-hmm. kind of kick butt. How, how do you go from the research and identifying here's an area where you can win into now let's turn like we talked about before let's assume my financial services company we have twitter we put stuff on facebook we've got stuff on linkedin but we're not a content marketing we don't have a director of content marketing like Mm -hmm. we're not creating it walk me through how you go from the kind of research of identifying into transitioning a company into actually creating the content how does that work yeah so i think 
I think this is a struggle with a lot of organizations where they feel like they need to be on all channels, all social media accounts. They need to be putting stuff up constantly. And it's, it's a real struggle to maintain. And what we try to do is take a few steps back and, you know, we're not starting at content creation as square one. We start, you know, mm-hmm. step one, which is really, you know, eight or 10 steps back from there, figuring out their brand story, the personas, the keywords they want to use, the influencers that they want to bring into their circle, bring into their content. Um, and then from there, we start looking at editorial planning and we go through it like any reporter would. What do we want to talk about? Who do we want to talk to? Who are our experts? Um, and those are the people at your company. Your experts are, you know, your customer service teams, your sales teams, your uh, the C-suite. And we really try to bring out their expertise. And I think sometimes when people have complicated businesses, you know, they think, well, I, I can, I'm the only one that can write this. (laughs) This is the only, I'm the only person who can understand it. And of course, like Mm -hmm. you're the one that's going to know your business best always, Mm -hmm. but you also, there's also options for agencies or other people, writers to come in and treat you like the source. And that way you could kind of lift that stress off of you where you don't have to be editorial planning, coming up with all the topics, finding the keywords, writing the outline, writing the post, doing the SEO. Like those are a lot of steps for someone who has a full-time business to take on. Um, And so that's what we really try to do is alleviate some of that time suck um, and come in there and, you know, act as the reporter and you the source and, and pull out the best information that you have to offer. You know, I think I, I definitely don't want this to come across as a sales tool for Teamworks, like the salesy approach. But I think one of the things that's really important here is that people get, um, I think many people get caught up on the medium as opposed to the message, right? Mm-hmm. Like we'll have um, clients be like, oh, I want to do a podcast. I want to do, mm-hmm. right? Or we've got really good writers, so we'll do blog posts. And I, mean, I think that's part of it too, right? Like there's a there are people who have, talents some people might be good personalities and better suited for Mm -hmm. doing a podcast or being part of a video series and things like that and i think it's one thing that you and i talk about uh, there's this nuance of it there's not like a box you pull off the shelf and say you know three videos a month one podcast a week and six blogs equals the success formula right it's this it's this nuance of the type of content depends on a whole bunch of things what staffing do you have? Are you gonna? How much are you gonna outsource? Right, because some people have content creation ability. Right, you have social media a, a manager and your team, but the content of which they've been putting on there is not really tied into something that's more consistent that's going to drive. And I think one thing that's important here as a business owner myself is the goal setting. And I, I think mm-hmm. you and I talk about this a lot using the financial services firm. So, you know, I could see a CEO or a CFO saying like, well, how much is this going to cost and what are we going to get out of it? And I think what's interesting here is if it's a boutique financial services firm that has 500 clients or 300 clients, right? Mm-hmm. The, pro- the, the concept of getting 30 more clients over the course of a year, one to two years is huge. Like that's a 10% yeah. increase. And I think that's the other, that's the other part of this equation if you are a massive financial services firm like a Wells Fargo, like you need 3,000 new clients a week, right? So it's a completely yeah. different strategy. But to your point on this um, single woman, 40 to 50 year old high net worth, like 
to get 30 to 50 people, which is a huge impact on a business, is a very manageable thing to get your head around, right? Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is you and I have talked about this. I think one of the most hidden psychological pieces of content marketing is that um, it's actually, this sounds a little deceitful and I don't want it to because it's authentic, but uh, I'll just use the Brand Story Inc. podcast, right? The one that we're on right now. Uh, this is, we're, I don't know, somewhere between episode 50 and 60 as we record this. And one of the things that even I, as an owner of a content marketing company, was kind of unaware of is just it creates avenues for you to create connections with people, right? So, mm -hmm. like, to reach out on a podcast and say, hey, we want to tell your story, you know, CEO woman X, who's a single woman, single mom, and how you do it, and whatever it is, you're creating a connection of of storytelling where you're not like hitting the person up, you're highlighting the person and sharing their story. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like you don't even have to, the relationship with that person that they become the prospect, right? As opposed to the people listening to it, right? And that's, it's almost like a, you and I have seen that go off when we talk to different people being like, hey, look, on the podcast alone, it's, it's it. think of the people that you want to have relationships with as the guests and anyone who listens yeah. as a bonus, right? I mean, mm -hmm. Um, and, and yeah, anyone are, in their network becomes yep. becomes extra. But yeah, you're really focusing on creating a relationship with someone who, you know, maybe pre-COVID times would be that person that you'd go golfing with, you'd go out to dinner with. And sometimes, you know, especially now, those are going to be harder to handle, even, you know, post-COVID, whatever that means. Yep. <laughs> but <laughs> so it's an easier way to talk to someone, to establish a relationship and really give them value as well at the same time that they're giving you value. Yeah, it's, it, it becomes manageable. And when you get into the micro of it, like on Brand Story Inc., um, you know, we had folks in the Wall Street Journal on David Minkin recently, and then they go and they post it on their LinkedIn. And then you see mm -hmm. 150 people commenting and engaging with the content. Guess what I do? I go and I look and be like, oh, look, hey, here's another person that would be neat to have on the show and somebody that might be a good potential partner for Teamworks in business. And it's just, it creates this loop of connectivity and connection through content that, as I always like, Lil, as you and I always like to say, each of these individual components isn't rocket science, but putting all of them together can be overwhelming if you're not used it's to a doing lot. this, right? <laughs> it's a lot. The steps in the process are a lot. And yeah, to your point, they're not each one on the on individually is not is not rocket science is not some crazy thing mm -hmm. but when you set up the entire process correctly and you're making sure you're checking every box it's it's a big job and so you know that's when you know I understand when some clients are like it's it's too much for us to take on and then that's why you know we come in because mm -hmm. people still have full-time jobs mm -hmm. Yeah, how do you? I kind of went all over the place as usual. How do you answer that question when people get overwhelmed about or get so focused on the type of content, like how much and how many videos and blogs versus podcasts? And what's your approach yeah. on that? I think it's really easy for people to start there because it's the most visual thing, yeah. and it's tangible, you know, right? it's, it's tangible. Yeah, people understand what a blog post looks like. They understand what a video looks like. It's something they get and it's it's right there in front of them but what we try to impress upon them is that you know when you're looking at that piece you're looking at you know step 15 instead of steps one through 14 mm -hmm. and so what we try to do is you know i want to make sure that they back up and they start in the right place because if you just start creating content now whether that's blog posts or social media content 
and you get six months down the road and you're not really seeing anything, you don't really know who you're talking to, mm-hmm. what questions they have, if you're just starting at, at step 15. So what I really like to do is just make sure that we're starting, you know, with an audit. Are we looking at, you know, all the content that you already have? Because mm-hmm. you've got a ton. Are we, let's look at, you know, making sure we know who your personas are, asking the sales teams, like we talked about earlier, what questions do you get over and over and over again? What are the things that we need to help your audiences with? And we just need to start small with those little things and build on each step from there because there is a really orderly process to go through it. We just, you need to start. This is going to get a little off topic, but I, I think I've seen you. I think one of the hardest things for people to get their hand around is brand voice. Mm-hmm. Right? The tone and personality and style of which your content has that kind of glues it together. And it also has to kind of tie into the company, right? I mean, I think if you're a very um, technically oriented, jargon-filled company and, you know, uh, to have a playful, fun you know, loosey goosey tone can be a disconnect, right? You're like, wait a minute, this right. doesn't seem like the same company. So the split personalities. Exactly. How how do you? You're really good at that, and and I've seen you do this with many clients. Is establish that. What thoughts do you have around that? Because that extends beyond content marketing and kind of gets into all elements of someone's business of how they present. Sure, and I think you know that's something that that we talk about with clients a lot too. Because I don't think sometimes that's a thing that you think about often. But what we really try to impress upon them is that we want to make sure that your website, your content, everything that you're putting out, all of your marketing channels sounds like you. Mm -hmm. And when they talk to someone on the phone or, again, in non-COVID times, in your office, they want to make sure that that person matches everything that they're seeing digitally. Because we don't want them to come in and, you know, you're looking at someone's website and it's it's you know maybe stiff and it's a little um, too put together almost and then they get there and the person that they're meeting with is super warm and friendly and personable and you know those those things don't match up so we want to make sure that it doesn't sound like a split personality it sounds like everything that you get in person is also what you get digitally yeah I love using the example of your LinkedIn page in your lobby are almost the same thing right they're, they are yeah, they, they are. are customer touch points and if the brand experience style tone feel doesn't match you've got a challenge right like you're mm-hmm. confusing the customer right and the ones that I hate to use the word but like Disneyify it right like that consistent maniacal like if it's playful it's playful everywhere you show up if it's you know, yeah. If it's, you know, buttoned up, then it's buttoned up everywhere, right? If it's coat and tie type or it's an elegant or, a, right, a highly stylized, like whatever it is, it's like looking at that. And that's where I always think it's interesting because content marketing is just one spoke in the overall brand and marketing mm-hmm. space. Um, but I think that's something that people don't think about, you know, and when we share it, when we talk to clients about it, it's, it's kind of fun because it's like, who doesn't like to think about, hey, how is our lobby can be more like our video, right? So. Yeah, and all that stuff matters to people. I think I heard someone one time talk about, um, you know, if you went to a restaurant and they had really good food, but the inside of the restaurant was kind of, yeah, would you keep going back? And it's, it's just like, I probably wouldn't. 
and it's all that stuff matters. Like you can't just be really good at one thing and then forget about everything else. Right. Or if the food's really good, it, you go the other way. Like you're intentional about the peanut shells at the rib place on the floor, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're totally embracing it. It's like, yeah, we're the place for slobs to come in and be yeah. slobby, right? Um, yeah. Everything, everything matters and everything is intentional and thought about. And I think sometimes when you get down the road of, of being in business for so long, sometimes, you know, things become a habit and they, they're not thought about as much anymore. And so sometimes you just need someone with fresh eyes to come in and say, do you realize this is what you're doing? And <laughs> pull it all back together. Well, you mentioned earlier in the in this podcast some of the content marketing places that you go to. So I thought some case mm-hmm. studies here uh, that, that you admire might be helpful. So we see this in our own business of content marketing like HubSpot and uh, Contently. And there's a whole, there are these content communities built around content marketing that are actually kind of front doors to products and services. So mm-hmm. let's go there. Give us some examples of content marketing that you personally either admire or use that that we can now kind of wrap it back to the to the listener here. Yeah, sure. So one that I use all the time for for our team is um, Sprout Social, and that's actually a, a product that we ended up using. We ended up buying for our agency, um, and it's their blog is it's a social media tool. I should step back mm-hmm. and say social media analytics. Um, it helps you measure. It helps you measure tool. social media, how your social media is doing, right? How, how yep. people engage yep. with it and all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, you can publish your content all the way through measuring to see how effective it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I used it a ton for was looking up algorithm changes, seeing what new releases were happening across Instagram, Facebook, things that I paid ads if there were changes to those processes. And so I was using their their blog, their services to educate myself, to educate our team. It's something, you know, when new releases would come out, I would Mm -hmm. send it to our team to make sure they understood what was going on. Um, And so it became one of those things that was kind of my go-to for social media updates. And that turned into me looking at their products and, and, you know, coming to you guys and saying, this is something that we need, you know, so we can manage all of our different social accounts and our analytics um, and so that's the most direct one that, that I use. And it's still something that even now that we have it, that we use, you know, their product, I still go to their site regularly for all these updates and, and new releases or new examples and case studies um, for social media. And so I think that's something that's important, too, is that, you know, content marketing isn't just necessarily getting people in the door but also once they're there, how do you how do you help them continue using it or using more parts of it? Um, I think that's something that people forget about sometimes. And, and I think that's a really good example of thought leadership, right? They earned your trust through the content. Mm-hmm. They were reliable. You were able to go to them. And, and it made sense, right? It wasn't like they were a footwear company doing this. They're a, they're in the business of content marketing. And so it make, mm-hmm. there's obviously a logical place from their product perspective. But I want to segue off of that into kind of what you and I have been talking about, which is the next generation of content marketing, which is more around the power of community, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, there are tens of thousands of businesses using content marketing in the way that you talked about it. Uh, but but really, that next level is creating community and connecting people and establishing a place where you can actually go and be, right? Regard, you don't necessarily need to do it in every facet of your life, like social media measurement. You may not want to be in there, but if it's your day job, right, and something that you're doing, mm-hmm. connecting 
with other humans, right, through these places and these content, through the content is is really something, and, and you've heard it with our friends at Wall Street Journal and Barron's group, that's what they're working on right now, right? It's it's like that next level of building community. And, and you've seen it, right, with your work with Chicago Marathon when we had them as a client. But share the, I'd love for you to share the philosophy on why community matters and some of the tactics of, of how you actually get there. Yeah, I think really when we're talking about creating a community, it's trying to get the people who are are listening to us, who are engaging with us to not only engage with us, but each other. And like you kind of mentioned with, with Chicago Marathon, that was a great one where you've got people from all over the world, not just Chicago, as a part of this one event and this one brand. But really the the main goal was to get them to look toward each other as, as resources and giving them whether that was, you know, asking each other the best tips on, you know, where to go when they were here for race week or how to start training for a marathon. And they were starting to like use each other as, as resources and turn toward each other and help each other. And I think that's the main goal is because that really just helps them not only form deeper relationships within that community, but, but then with the brand, because, you know, then you've got a soft spot for them and you know that they're here to help you they're kind of like like the host of the party kind of and then all the guests get to know each other and yeah. that's really that's the goal of it um and we've even seen that you know aside from you know social media when we look at you know the case studies with hubspot you know they are selling their products and services and they're building out content to help people like me like my team um, and giving us education and value, but then they go a step further and create communities within, whether that's Facebook groups or anything on their social, so that those people can then talk to each other about the things they're learning and, hey, do you have a tip on this? Has anyone tried this? And it just kind of facilitates those conversations. You know, it's interesting too, and, and some of the tactics that um, you've been pushing me on, which are great on like salons and connecting, right? Like mm-hmm. with just different people and go back, let's go back to that fictitious financial services boutique firm. You can just play that through, right? I mean, you think about, um, think about the power of having, um, you know, a group of 25 women, right? Who are seven figure earners mm-hmm. who are, you know, um, on a business or career journey, right? And and have this shared, like, let, you, that's a pretty select club, right? And to be able to kind yeah. of connect with, confide with other people, um, the power of being the convener there, if, like if you had a, you and I just went to one of these, like an agency salon where you're invited and it's like, hey, we're just gonna get 20 people together and we're not selling anything. We just want you guys to connect and we're gonna throw some topics out. The, the folks come away with relationships and earn trust in your brand and it's just this ability to deepen you know you can take it a step further and then you turn it into an annual event right when we're able to do those things and those are some of the things you've been pushing me on to do for our company in these salons because we've experienced them and it's just this psychological component that takes you to a a deeper appreciation and, and i guess ultimately brand loyalty yeah and i think that's it you see you know you see the company that you're there with um, and I think it just, it helps you kind of understand, you know, who you're working with, you know, who these other people are. And, you know, especially in these COVID times, I think people have really realized the value of those relationships. And, you know, right now they might be digital, but I think people, people miss that and they miss interacting with people. And so to be able to be the facilitator of those kind of things is, is only going to 
provide more value for you, for your audiences. Um, well said. Uh, so home stretch here, Lil. You and I have talked to many executives who are wanting to jump into content marketing, but they're what I don't know, maybe stuck at the end of the diving board, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And they've they've got resources putting content up on every social platform, but maybe not appreciating the nuances of how it all works. And like we talked about, it can be overwhelming in the you don't know what you don't know factor. So mm-hmm. what advice do you have for executives who might be listening to this right now who are intrigued but perhaps overwhelmed? Yeah, I think I think the main thing that I have told people and that I will continue to tell people is that it's okay to step back for a minute. It's There's really not a rush of you needing to make sure that you're getting co- content out constantly. You're making sure that you're tweeting 10 times a day. Like You can take that pressure off of yourself. <laughs> take a step back. You don't need to be on every social platform. Like Let's take a breather for a second and really look at the data and the resources and the information we have and start making smart decisions about where we need to be, how often we need to be there and, and go from there, but you don't need to be on constantly. And so I think some people, you know, give you permission to take a step back and and hold off on creating more social content for a minute. I put my business hat on and I think you've heard me say this and I'd love for you to challenge me on it, but but, uh, I, I tell folks, especially CEOs or CFOs, if they haven't done this before and they want to go in it, I say, you know, people want to know how much it costs, right? And I said, look, mm-hmm. there's two things. There's there's financial investment. There's three things. There's actual cash out of pocket. There's time, right? And then there's soft costs, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you look at that, I'm like, if you're not willing to go at this for 12 or 18 months before you make a business decision on it, don't do it. Right. If you don't have yeah. that, if it's you're looking, long game on it's one. a long game, right? <laughs> you're not going to can't underscore that. Yeah. You can't, you know, and it's, it sounds sometimes like it's a cheesy sales style. Oh, it's going to take 12 or 18. It, it just is. Right. And I think, yeah. um, the other part of that is I'm like, look, if you're a small business and you don't have these resources, you don't have marketing resources and you're looking at content marketing, I'm like ballpark thumb in the air, quarter million dollars to really put into this as a floor. I mean, with clients who add zeros to that, right? But I mean, mm-hmm. so like to get in the game, and I always tell people, I'm like, look, if you can do this yourself, right? You can go out and hire a director of content marketing, and they're going to need a couple of other people, but that's going to take you, you know, six months to get the right people, then build a plan. They're going to have to get the other people in. You're going to start creating content. It's a significant amount of work. It's yeah. a significant amount of time. You either have full time people dedicated to it or you outsource and i think right. that you know or the hybrid of the two depending on what or you hybrid have. of the two yeah because i think some you, you yeah. certainly do need someone on on the inside mm-hmm. helping with it but yeah i think there's just it, it is a significant undertaking and if you have people who are full up on you know their day-to-day jobs it's i've seen how this goes and you know blog posts take a really long time to write and then they need to email someone to get more information and then you know someone needs to figure out how to design the image that goes in it and then i need to learn how to do the seo behind it and posting it it becomes a significant time suck yeah that's the probably the biggest mistake is people try to make it not their day job it's like the in addition to and it's always the thing that gets pushed in this you know to your point it's it's um it's self-fulfilling if after 12 to 18 months the the money coming back isn't greater than the money going in, then you take a look at it, right? But I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean, you and I have just had, we're such believers in this, 
going you know that extreme case earlier of tasty trade you know the billion dollar payoff and it was it was amazing I, I, and I just love examples like that because the vision that they had was the long game they were like you know they have a million subscribers to their content right a million people who've reached out and said I I I want you to in my inbox. I want your YouTube videos coming to me. Like, and that is, that's an actual asset for the entire company, right? Which, which paid off. And so, you know, I think um, you and I love this stuff. We can talk all day long about it. Hopefully uh, we've opened up some, some eyes and ears in, in a way that doesn't put us first, that we're, we're just such believers in, uh, in this marketplace, we want others to share in it, whether that's with somebody else, they do it internally or they do it, you know, with us. But the last question I have for you or, uh, you know, Lily, the book report here, any books or resources or social follows that you'd recommend if somebody has made it all the way to this part of the podcast and is like, I, I, okay, what do I do next? Like, I, I'm liking this. I want to learn more. Yeah, I think, I mean, the two that I always go back to that I just think do such a good job of explaining it are one HubSpot because they really give you some very tactical information about what to do, how to do it. But if you're in the stage of just trying to figure out what this is, I do think the book that we talked about earlier, Content Chemistry, mm-hmm. just explains it in such a manageable but realistic way. Mm-hmm. It, I don't feel like it's you know it's not BSing anyone, trying to make it overly complicated or giving you way too much information before you're even ready for it but it really does a nice job of laying out the steps yeah and how, what and you how need to fits, start with how content how marketing to start fits, with. right in the big yeah. picture too yeah and the benefits of of seo kind of propelling you along social media being these spikes that you can help um to promote your content and it, it just gives you some good visuals of really understanding how it works and then once you kind of get that under your belt hubspot does really give you a fantastic um job of of educating you and making sure you know tactically what to do yeah the other one i would add to that and it's old but it's held the test of time is brandscaping by andrew davis which is Mm -hmm. more of a marketing book than content marketing but it 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 really gets into that still need it yeah right that media mindset and he has such great examples of um I think it was Farm and Fleet and the Chicken Whisper, how they created like the, it, he has this whole thing about fractal marketing and finding the niche, which is exactly what we talked about with the, the high net worth single woman, right? Like it's find that niche within the niche and then how to build out kind of a media approach to it. And he has one of my favorite all time ones because it's, it's, it's for the skeptic. It, it goes all the way through the ROI of how organic backyard chicken raising was becoming a thing and Farm and Fleet kind of, saw that and wanted to create a market towards it. And they, they found this, you know, guy out there on the radio and turned him into a podcaster called the chicken whisperer. And it had a profound impact on, on and quantifiable impact on the business of just, you know, think about that niche backyard, mm-hmm. organic chicken farmers. And that, that company benefited from it by just honing in on that niche and servicing all the things that you talked about. So brandscaping by Andrew Davis, and then the, Content Chemistry by Andy Crestadina. Uh, highly recommend. Lily Homestead Cruz, thank you so much for your time and well, talking content marketing with us. Really, uh, best way for people to find you on social? Yes, it is still Lily Homestead because I have not changed my last name on there. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. On Twitter? On Twitter. Okay, there you have it. Lily Homestead Cruz from Teamworks Media. 
Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. Share this podcast. Give us your feedback. Give us your ideas on who you'd like to hear on the next edition of Brand Story Inc. Until then, have a great day. Thanks for listening to Brand Story Inc. We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.